0: For sharing evidence you can trust on Energetic Health Radio and the This Week in COVID research articles found on the America Out Loud network. Ready for another great show? Great, let's go to work. Question of the day Does the CDC deserve our trust? Well, let's think about this for a second. The CDC violated federal law to change how death certificates are were recorded, but exclusively for COVID and specifically to de-emphasize comorbidities so they could fraudulently claim that every COVID death was caused by COVID. Two years later, they have finally admitted to fraud in saying that some of the deaths were caused by COVID, but others weren't, but they can't tell the public how many. Okay, let's look at their provisional counts where they confirm that 95% of all deaths had on average 4.0 comorbidities. So what does this mean? This means that the death count could be fraudulently inflated by as much as 95%, folks. And guess what? My research team was the first to publish on this uh, topic in our peer-reviewed paper titled COVID-19 Data Collection, Comorbidity, and Federal Law, a Historical Retrospective, published in IPAC in October 2020. That's how long we've known about this. And that's not the only fraud. Hospitalizations and cases are fraudulent. Have you heard what's going on in New York and New Jersey as they're correcting their counts? And New York is saying 43% of all hospitalizations were not uh, due to COVID. And 49% in New Jersey were that were listed as COVID weren't because of COVID. Well, let's prove it, Dr. H, right? That's what we got to do, prove it. In today's show, world-renowned PCR experts Dr. Sin-Hang Lee and Dr. James Lyons-Weiler will show us how the CDC is using PCR to hyperinflate cases with false positives. And we know that the same person can be counted as unique new cases as many times as the CDC wants. And now there's this new way the CDC is defrauding the American people. It comes in the form of laboratory genomic sequencing used to identify variants. As our special guest will prove, the CDC made a decision in early 2020 not to use the most accurate method for genomic sequencing, a method they call the gold standard for genomic sequencing, a method known as Sanger sequencing. Well, the CDC made the decision not to use Sanger sequencing. Why? Why? Because it would have proven that many of the PCR false positives weren't even SARS-CoV-2 infections, and that there are thousands of variants circulating, not just one Delta or one Omicron or whatever Greek letter they want to use to name something. There's a lot here, folks, and we've brought you the experts today. So stay tuned as we reveal another layer of CDC fraud right after these messages. Energetic Health Radio is sponsored by the Energetic Health Institute, an amazing school for amazing people just like you. Ready to take control of your health? At EHI, we'll help you tap into the power you already possess, heal what hurts, as you learn organic, evidence-based nutrition, botanical medicine, Eastern energetics, Western science, and so much more. Learn what every doctor should know, learn from people who really care, and love what you'll learn for a lifetime. Go to energetichealthinstitute.org and bring the joy of energetic health into your life. We'll be right back with more Energetic Health Radio right after these messages.
1: Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store.
0: You know, today we have some very, very special guests, world-renowned PCR experts and more. Let me let me be very clear with that. They're not just experts on PCR. These are two of the most brilliant men when it comes to exposing the fraud that the CDC has been perpetuating. And I, I can't wait to bring you, them to you. Uh, we have Dr. Sin Hang Lee, who's joined us before. And that that if you haven't listened to that interview, it's gotten a lot of play on the America Out Loud platform. And we also have Dr. James Lyonsweiler, also lovingly known as Dr. Jack. Gentlemen, how are you both doing today? Fine. Thank you.
2: Doing great. Thanks. Still healthy. Oh,
0: still healthy, right? <laughs> Very good. Now, yeah. uh, before we get into this segment, we want to really get into PCR and how it's being used, but we're, we're going to do it in a way, everyone, so it's educational. All right. We're going to take this, we're going to take you through this in a way so that we don't talk over your head. And that we can explain what's going on because we want you to understand this because we're going to go somewhere with this in the next segment when we start talking about genomic sequencing. So it's a little dense and we're going to do our best to make it super simple so everybody can understand. Okay. Uh, but before we get into that, Dr. Jack, you had brought something to my attention in our pre-production conversation about the peer reviewed paper that we were lucky to have published through uh, IPAC. And you had something you wanted to share with the audience.
3: Yeah, so people aren't familiar with this. Dr. Ely and his team did an extensive deep dive into the provenance of how and what the CDC did when it came to the diagnosis of SARS-CoV-2 and um, and the case determination and death determination uh, due to COVID-19 and found that they didn't like, they didn't jump through the correct regulatory hoops. they weren't the correct regulatory hoops, but they also made what has turned out to be a fatal error for many people uh, by conflating the PCR positive uh, status of a person with the disease. And now, <clears throat> the way that we were talking about it back then, and they're not the only people that recognize this, I certainly did as did others, was that there's a difference between dying with COVID and dying from COVID. And this was April of 2020 when I started talking about it, you guys found the same thing. We put it out to peer review and you know, we're going to get into the consequences of that mistake, but I just wanted to go on the record and say over the past week, Dr. Fauci admitted that most of the kids that are in hospital that are in hospital with COVID are not hospitalized from COVID. Right. They're, Okay, and then Dr. Walensky just announced that they're going to go back over the 186,000, 187,000 deaths to find out how many died with COVID versus died from. And so I wanted to issue a hearty congratulations to you and your team at EHI, all of your co-authors who are on that peer review and mm-hmm. have everyone write to USA Today and say, USA Today, you were wrong. IPAC was right. Retract your paper. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, retract your Fact check.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that, you know it was interesting about that, Doctor Jack. The when we were looking at that, um, you know, we knew it. It was ultimately going to have to come that way. Now, my concern becomes who's where's the who's watching the auditors. You know, we've been we've been clamoring for a full audit of all death certificates for over a year now, really two years. And you know, I, I think with what we're going to find out is if the CDC is left in charge of that process, it's going to be fraudulent. Yet again, you know, I won't have any faith in their in their outcome. I
3: agree completely, and that's why I'm so grateful that you're having this particular podcast right now because the technical details really matter. How you count a PCR, uh, how you interpret a PCR, and how that what that status of that PCR actually means in the clinic for the person's case status or death of determination is ultimately going to prove to be
0: extremely important amen amen all right well uh thank you for that that's a high praise coming from you i really appreciate it i'm blushing off uh if you wish you could see me right now that is uh it's a big deal coming from from you dr jack we really appreciate that thank you so much so um dr lee uh, i want to establish your your expertise because I, I i read a thread with what is this guy um on uh, what is it dr wilson for uh uh what is it Debunking the Funk or Unfunking the Debunker, whatever his show was called, right? And he just was not giving you your credit as an expert. So, Dr. Lee, how long have you been evaluating PCR tests in your career?
2: Well, I started PCR work uh, in the early 90s, yeah, start actually 1990, 1991.
0: Yeah. So, 1991. So, you have about you have 30 years of experience with PCR, and you even have a, a um, laboratory, don't you? What's the name of your laboratory?
2: Uh, my laboratory is called Milford Molecular Diagnostic Laboratory. It used to be affiliated with a Yale uh, teaching hospital in Milford.
0: And, and it is CLIA certified, right?
2: Yeah, it's CLIA certified, yeah, licensed by the state of Connecticut.
0: Right, and people can contact you. That's Milford Molecular Diagnostics. People can contact you for a second opinion on their PCRs if they feel like they got a false positive. Is that accurate?
2: Right. Uh, Second opinion, whether they're positive, false positive, or uh, they want to know the exact variant of the virus.
0: That's right, and that's something we're going to get into a lot in that next segment. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Dr. Jack, how long have you been evaluating uh, PCR and teaching PCR?
3: Yeah, so I ran my first PCR in 1998 at there's a molecular laboratory at the University of Nevada, Rideau. I spent a lot of time there. And then when I uh, went to Penn State University, I did mostly computational work. But when I went to the University of Massachusetts as a faculty member, I insisted that I had a sequencer in my lab. So we had a PCR machine sequencer. We had the whole setup. And so I have been doing and teaching PCR since 1998. Uh, and more importantly, I would say, how to analyze and interpret PCR data since uh, 2002.
0: So you all are not rookies when it comes to PCR and PCR evaluation whatsoever, right? I fell off the turnip truck a long time ago. <laughs> a long time ago. And so now, Dr. Jack, as a teacher, tell us, how is PCR supposed to work? Well,
3: if you're just going to sequence your
0: target, that is say you wanted to look at some genes
3: and you wanted to see what they looked like in terms of their sequence, you would just do a normal PCR, which involves the replication through copying of target sequencing using pairs of what are called primers. Now the primers are short sequences that match uh the north end and the south end of the target sequence so imagine going to a book and there's a sentence in the book that says you know the the white dog lays in the backyard right and so you would need letters that match the beginning of that sentence and the end of that sentence and you have those primers to a pair of primers in the presence of polymerase an enzyme that is thermal stable. That is, it doesn't melt away permanently under high under high temperature. Mm-hmm. You actually take a uh, uh, a sample of the DNA or the RNA in this, in the case of the, the species of a virus, and you'll cycle through certain temperatures. And Kerry Mullis, when he first came up with PCR, actually did it in a toaster oven. Wow. So it's actually the temperature that causes the annealing of the DNA, the melting of the DNA, the re-annealing of the double-stranded DNA, and the extension. And the extension is where you get the copies. So in your sample, you have a bunch of dNTPs. These are the A's and the T's and the C's and the G's. You learned about 10th grade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's Dr. Lee's pup, I think. Yeah. The, the, uh, so anyway, through cycling of the temperature, you go from two copies to four copies to eight copies to 16. To 32 it's a doubling reaction and so you end up with millions of copies of your target sequence which then if you're just going to sequence it on the sequencer you can determine the actual nucleotide sequence but in the case of the way that they're using pcr now for covid and they've been doing it since the cdc first put out their test they did something very strange and really bizarre because when, when you're when you're doing Uh RT-PCR. RT stands for reverse transcript, reverse transcriptase or reverse transcription. You have to take the RNA, which is like your sentence written backwards with letters that match. And then you have to transcribe that into DNA because PCR doesn't work on RNA. So you basically have to make a copy of the complementary sequence of the RNA. And That's fine that they're doing RT-PCR, that's fine. But what they're supposed to do and what the FDA didn't do, and I wrote to the FDA, I wrote to Dr. Marks at the beginning of this, and I said, you're going to have a serious problem with false positives. They didn't require any negative samples. You have to have a negative sample and do the same exact cycling on that negative sample to get a reference point per person so that you know if that person actually has what you think might be present in the sample and instead what they're doing is they're cycling the seek, the machine 40 45 times and so far as we can tell from the values that we've seen they're making the the determination that the virus is present when the number of copies reaches a certain number regardless almost regardless of the number of cycles it takes to get there and so if you think of the cycle threshold like a speed limit right? Let's say that I've got a jalopy and you've got a speedster, right? You've got a race car. In my jalopy, I can put the gas pedal all the way down, but I'm not going to reach the speed limit for seven minutes, right? But you're going to reach the speed limit in two minutes. So you're able to burn more gas per unit time. You're going to get there faster. Well, that's what this cycle threshold is. A person will either reach that the, the, the critical cycle threshold, of of fluorescence on the machine really is, but it's the number of copies that are made. In in 16 cycles or 25 cycles or 32 cycles or 42 cycles, everybody's going to reach a certain level of fluorescence on the basis of the number of original copies in the sample. And what they what they're doing, instead of having a negative sample to say, hey, wait a minute, yeah, you reached it in 25 sa- cycles. But the negative for you was 20 cycles, so you really have a small number of difference there, as opposed to somebody else that reached 25 cycles, and their negative sample reached it in—you know—sorry, uh, I have it backwards. Didn't reach it until uh, 45 cycles. So then, then, then what we have is we have no comparison, we have no control in the experiment. Mm-hmm. And so, what the FDA did, they allowed all these commercial kits to just guess I, I guess what a reasonable cycle threshold would be for everybody and so everybody's cycle numbers compared to a cycle threshold that might not be relevant for them and that leads to all kinds of problems when you are starting to, to understand that anybody could reach a cycle threshold of 40 or 45 anybody can reset through a problem called pcr push through you simply cycle the machine until you randomly amplify whatever is amplifying in the sample, it doesn't have to be SARS-CoV-2. That's why you can get PCR positive pineapples.
0: Well, that, so now let me, let, me, then let me bring this back because uh, this, this seems like a, an important point here. If I'm understanding what you're saying here, you're saying that basically if you amplify, copy the sample, whatever that sample is enough, you'll eventually get, you'll find the positive result you've wanted to find. And no. and and so this sounds like why they arbitrarily set the cycle threshold limit at 40, and why we've heard of other of other labs going even higher. We've heard of labs being at 42, because if you if you amplify something enough, if you make enough copies of it, you'll eventually get to the positive result you wanted. Now there's two reasons why they might have done this, right? So one
3: reason is they just wanted to scare everybody and they needed more cases to scare everybody to make the vaccine program go. That's one possibility.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Another possibility is that when they shipped out their flawed test in uh, March, they had no way back. They couldn't do any contact tracing. COVID had escaped off of the Princess cruise ship, but it it was running rampant around the country now. And there was no way for them to do any meaningful contact tracing. So somebody at the CDC simply said, hey, you know what, all we have to do is set the cycle threshold really high, we'll catch all the cases. And then somebody else should have said, yeah, but what about the false positives that are going to happen? You're going to get a ton of false positives. Oh, that's not our problem. We don't have to worry about that. Our job is to catch the cases. And I think that's what happened. I think Mm. they panicked and they decided to completely rewrite how we use PCR for molecular diagnostics.
0: Okay. Well, Dr. Lee, tell us a little bit more about that. How is the CDC misusing PCR specifically for COVID?
2: Well, the CDC for this time, for 2020, uh, the CDC introduced this so-called reverse uh, transcriptase QPCR instead of the QC, uh, instead of the classic PCR uh, to amplify the virus genome for sequencing, which they use to control bizarre covid in 2003 successfully. So So that's the problem because the PC, the CDC owns a patent of the current RTQ PCR diagnostic kit. So they actually use their patented technology to to replace their original established diagnostic protocol for COVID-1 in 2003. That's the problem. the so-called PCR, the full name is uh, polymerase chain reaction, Yeah, mm-hmm. to duplicate a number of uh, molecules in the human specimen. For example, if you take a sample from the nose of a patient, there are a lot of junk uh, DNA, RNA in the sample, which mm-hmm. they, you don't want, right? So right. you may all, only have one or two copies of the COVID 2 virus DNA or RNA in it. So you want to amplify it to make a lot of copy so that the sequencing machine can read. Right. Okay. So in order to make enough copies of it, you, know, you just like uh, put it into a Zeros machine, tell the Zeros machine make copies you know, for me. Right. So if you tell the Zeros machine to run Thirty cycles, thirty copies. So it gives you thirty cycles, thirty copies. But thirty copies of DNA is not enough for DNA sequencing.
1: Right. So
2: you make it as a chain reaction, the so-called chain polymer chain reaction, so like the atomic bomb and the nuclear energy reaction, the chain reaction. It means you are using the copy of the copy of the copy to make copies, the new copies. Yeah. Right. Right. So. So after 30 copy 30 cycles of uh, PCR amplification, one copy becomes a, a billion instead of 30. Right? Okay. So, okay. So that is the that's the way. And unfortunately, the copying machine is not very accurate. Every right. time you make copy from the copy from the copy, you lose resolution. So okay. after 30 30 30, 30 copying times, yeah? Like my picture, this picture may look like a dog, right? So you lose the original resolution already after certain uh, certain numbers. So the number of uh, PCR copying must not be very high in order to be accurate for the testing. That's uh, that's the reason.
0: so, Dr. Lee, this is why we we've said and heard repeatedly: people without symptoms shouldn't be tested, because you can find anything in there. Uh, but also, it's this is why the people who have been tested, if they if their cycle, uh, if their cycle number is right. low, then there's a good likelihood that you found something in there that that probably was SARS-CoV two in this case, right? But if their cycle number is high, like we've heard so many times that there's this magic number of about 27 or 28, that anything, if your cycle number is below 27, 28, then you're, and you had symptoms, it's probably, it's probably safe to assume you're, you're COVID, right? Right. But if you're over 27, 28, and you don't have any symptoms, it's pretty safe to assume that if you got a positive, it was a false positive. Is that right? Right. So-
2: in one study, which was done by uh, the employees of uh, Pfizer uh, uh, Corporation too, right? Mm-hmm. And they make a study, and the data show that uh, if the city cycles were below twenty-seven,
0: uh-huh. yeah,
2: the false positive rate, yeah, would be about five point twenty-six percent.
0: Okay. Yeah? So, so not c- very many false positives below 27, below right. a cycle right. number of 27 right.
2: okay. below 27. Yeah. But if the cycle value is above 27,
0: uh-huh.
2: the false positive rate would be 75.5%. <laughs> right?
0: So wait, 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 wait. So, so if you're, if the cycle number was below 27, the false positives were only about 5.26%. But if right. the cycle number was above 27, you're telling me that, this, and this is Pfizer data, you're telling me that, it, that the false positives are 75.5%? Correct. So, and worse than, that, worse than that, if the laboratory
2: hides yeah, it's uh-huh. CT cycle in the report, that means they don't want to tell you, right? Right, right. Then the false positive base could climb up to 91%. Whoa. Right?
0: So wait a minute. We're using a technology that we know isn't designed to be diagnostic it's designed to amplify something's there for study it's not there to say whether you're sick or not right that's that's the big deal of it and and the reason it's that we it's not supposed to be used diagnostically it sounds to me like is this exact issue that you can have so many false positives in the effort of trying to figure out who's sick and who isn't is that is that a safe assumption is that am i understanding that correctly
2: Right, it's very dangerous. Yeah, actually, you don't know who's uh, actually carrying the virus around you. Right, yeah, for
0: sure. So, but but what's concerning for me, Doctor Lee, is that it sounds like this is like a volume knob. If you turn up the cycle threshold enough, you can find anything. So you can control the entire society by just saying, "Hey, when we want it to look like the vaccine is working or things are getting better, we can take down cycle threshold to say twenty-seven or." Or 26 or 25, and then anybody who who gets their cycle number, you know, um, below that, yeah, they're likely going to be positive. But we knew that, but right. if but if we want to turn up the volume and make this look like this crisis is getting worse, all we have to do is say, hey, we're going to move the cycle threshold from 40 to 45, and right. that's going to get all these false positives above 27. That we know are there, but people aren't going to know they're false positive, and this is why we're hearing so many people saying they're testing positive but they don't even feel sick.
2: Right, that's exactly right. what CDC is trying to say. Sometimes you know, it says uh, we are only uh, going to sequencing the sample when you have a sample
0: with a CT level below twenty eight. Oh, wait a minute! Now you're blowing my mind. So we we knew for the vaccine breakthrough that they created a separate set of rules. They won't. Cla- they won't even evaluate for vaccine breakthrough, which is also known as vaccine failure. They won't even evaluate for it if a person isn't fully vaccinated and it's been 14 days since. And now I'm assuming they're going to say, unless you've been boosted as well, you can't be counted as, as as a breakthrough case, right? Unless you've gotten your booster. So So we we know they set that at a cycle threshold of 28. We know that, right? And that was obviously to eliminate false positives, that 75.5% number that you just quoted from the Pfizer study, right?
1: right? So
0: you're telling me for genomic sequencing, which we're going to get into right after this break, they have the same rule. They won't accept a sample for genomic sequencing if the cycle threshold number is above 28? Correct. Oh, wow. So the CDC is admitting right there in our faces. They they know if the cycle threshold number for a person's test is above 28, it's likely a false positive. They know this and they, they don't care. They don't they don't care when it serves their purposes for inflating case counts, but they do care when it's when it works against them for inflating vaccine breakthrough or. Or genomic sequencing so they're they're playing on both sides of this fence is what you're you both are essentially telling me
2: right it's a, double wow. standard. <laughs> it's
0: a it's 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 a it's true hypocrisy right there it's it's true uh you know scientific hypocrisy right there looking at us in the face so before we go to break uh real quick just uh, you know i want you guys to just be straight with our audience. That's the thing we've had the hardest time getting is straight talk from people who are super smart, right? So um, the, the question I have for you both is, should this version of PCR be used to diagnose active COVID cases? Yes or no?
2: no absolutely not. Absolutely not. Wow. I think all, all this PCR positive cases ought to be retested by DNA sequencing to prove, yeah, Really, uh, is our COVID two genome in the in the specimen.
0: Is that possible? Is that something that can be done?
2: Oh yes, it can be done, and I think oh, all the wow. hospital laboratories should be doing it. And I, I'm doing it. Yeah? You're
0: doing you're doing it at the Milford lab. Right. Well, I often do it. You know? <laughs> Well, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We come back. uh, Let's see if we can get into genomic sequencing because I did want to cross over from PCR. I wanted to give everybody a background on it, but let's cross over into genomic sequencing because I have some real grave concerns about the fraud that is going on with genomic sequencing. And I want both of you to educate our audience on that fraud because this is another control mechanism to make people feel like The CDC, one, is smart, which I guess they are. If you can lie this well, you got to be smart on some level, but that they're being honest with the American people. And to me, that's the big issue. They're not being honest. They're not telling the truth to the American people. And they're manipulating tests like this and data categories and things like that to manipulate data to paint the picture that there's a, a pandemic going on when, in fact, I don't think we can say that. Is there something concerning happening? Of course. And were we saying that nobody's dying, nobody's being, no, we're not saying nobody's dying and nobody's being hospitalized. What we're saying is, is this an emergency? And I think what they're using is this data to support a lie that this is a fraud, this is a, they're defrauding the American people. Let me just put it right where it is. They're defrauding the American people. So folks, we'll be back with Dr. Heng Lee and Dr. James Lyons-Weiler right after these messages. Folks, emergencies don't last for years. From the outset, the CDC repeatedly violated federal laws to hyperinflate COVID data and defraud the American people. They lied while we died, they failed while we suffered, they profit while we fight for what's right. If you're tired of this new normal of willful misconduct, if you're tired of the corruption, then fight for your freedom using love, logic and light by signing the grand jury petition that can set us all free. Go to covidcon21.com to educate yourself on the alleged crimes that must be brought to justice. We urge you to join the more than 100,000 Americans and growing, demanding transparency, integrity, and accountability in our governance. This isn't a party issue. This is a freedom issue. So folks, let's do what's right and enjoy the fight. We'll be right back after these messages with more Energetic Health Radio.
4: The sensible American spirit drives the most audacious experiment in the history of self-government. America Out Loud celebrates the American spirit every minute of every day. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall.
0: All right. Welcome back, everyone. So once again, I'm here with world-renowned PCR and genomic sequencing experts, Dr. Sinhang Lee and Dr. James Lyons-Weiler, who we affectionately refer to as Dr. Jack. These are two men who can expose the tools that the CDC is using to perpetuate the fraud that they are upon the American people. And I know sometimes these uh these topics, can you can get lost in the weeds real quick, so I'm going to do my best to keep bringing it back to an overview once they've shared their wisdom with us. Um, it's important, though, that we understand their wisdom and the detail of it, so let's make sure we give them our full attention uh, as we go through it, because there's a lot we can learn from these two right here. So, Dr. Jack, before we get into the genomic sequencing aspect and, and Omicron, uh, you wanted to say something about uh, PCR false positives. Uh, go for it.
3: Right. So when you're testing millions of people, right, and they're intending on testing millions of people, Mm -hmm. and you have a 91% false positive risk if you're using high threshold, obviously you're going to have millions of people that are false positives. Mm -hmm. And what that's going to do, our primary concern to date has been, hey, it's going to exaggerate and make things look worse than it is. But Mm -hmm. there are some other consequences and dr lee mentioned one but i want to emphasize it well you don't know who's sick around you so because there are people that are given a false positive they're mixed in with the people that are given a true positive but these tests can also have false negatives Mm -hmm. so there's the problem that it makes makes the, the epidemic worse they look bigger than it is. There's a problem of, of, of the incorrect death determination, case determination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but these tests are so imperfect that the PCR experts, so-called experts, they celebrate when one of the primer pairs fail due to mutation, because then they say, oh, look, we have a built-in way to tell the difference between Omicron and Delta. But what mm-hmm. they forget is that the same S gene dropout happened in the UK with the beta variant. So it's not specific to Omicron.
0: So what you're saying is there's no way we can use the PCR to determine which variant it is. Is that accurate?
3: it It is absolutely haphazard and arbitrary for them to say that the failure of one of the primers. We have no performance evaluation statistics. We have no studies done on the accuracy of the test when you say, oh, yes, we have to have two out of three primer sets light up. But if this one's out, then we're going to call it Omicron. And this is a tell. This is a huge tell uh, that they're making it up as they go along. They're, they're not basing their testing on, on solid science. And that's, that's, where, that's just the beginning. The more important risk, if you have false positives, is that people will get a sense of security that they think they have natural immunity. Mm-hmm. I had a, I had Delta, I had a Beta, I had SARS-CoV-2. I tested positive PCR and I was fine. And not only will they think that they're safe, their spouses, their siblings, their family members will think COVID is not a big deal mm-hmm. because you test positive and it's a false positive. You barely have a sniffle, okay? So it gives this false sense of security and then people walk right into large gatherings. They walk right into covid they don't think it's COVID because they thought that they already had it. Right. And it's it's warping and distorting the public's perception of COVID in a very, very dangerous way. And there's a little more I've got to say on this. Imagine if you think that you've had COVID and you think that you're immune
0: mm-hmm. and
3: then you get COVID again. You're going to call that a reinfection. And, and it's inaccurate. What, yeah. And that's what they're saying about Omicron. They're saying right. Omicron is reinfecting the, those with natural immunity. Those people don't have natural immunity. They're the false positives. And they they're were the, the false majority, positives. Ah. They're the false positives and they're the majority of the cases of COVID because of the false positive problem. And the final thing that I want to point out is that Biden just, is, is, he's going to order these, these hundreds of millions of rapid antigen tests. Okay? Right. And he's going to, going to make, excuse me, make them free. People need to understand that the first test on the list that FDA has, you go to the FDA website and you read the documentation. It's by Abbott tests. That test and other tests can light up positive for COVID. They're COVID rapid antigen tests. They, they use them in the nose, in-home in rapid antigen tests. They can actually detect the common cold virus. It's the HKU1 virus.
0: Wow. So they're so, not detecting SARS-CoV-2 at all.
3: that's a lack of what's called pathogen specificity. Abbott uh, Industries told the FDA this in the submission, and yet the Biden administration is still gonna use it as if it's a specific test. So just because the rapid antigen tests light up positive does not mean you have COVID. Be very, very cautious in terms of self-evaluating yourself for COVID with these in-home tests. The Omicron business, is Mm -hmm. even worse of a mess because now they're saying, oh, look, Omicron is just like a common cold. Well, tell us the PCR threshold that you're hiding. Right. Tell us the, the data that you're hiding about what that threshold is and tell us how many of those PCR tests were actually false positive before you then go say, oh, look, you tested positive on Omicron with a false positive, most likely a false positive Omicron result. Oh, now what? It looks just like a common cold. It's probably para influenza. The symptoms of
0: Omicron are consistent with para influenza. Wow. So, you know, what you just three things come to mind when you said number one, 100% agree with you. It is criminal that we cannot get our hands on the cycle number for every positive test. You know, we've actually had senators who have sent records requests in to public health departments, state health departments to get this, and they've been denied access even though we know that that information exists. You want to build trust in the American people again? Give people, instead of a yes or no, false or or negative test result, give them their cycle threshold uh, number, excuse me, their cycle number so that we can assess. If you're under 27, yeah, then that's, and it says positive, yeah, then you're probably, and you had symptoms, yeah, that's probably COVID, right? But if it's over 27, over 28, and you didn't have any symptoms, then guess what? That's probably falls into that 75.5 to 91%, you know, false positivity right there. Right,
3: right. And, this is no, and this is no way to do molecular diagnostics. What people should do if they test positive for PCR is have the doctor sample them with a second sample and send it to Dr. Lee for Sanger sequencing confirmation.
0: A full actual sequence, an actual real deal way of doing this, right? Sure. The Sanger sequence, it's the way not it's expen- supposed to be it's done. It's not
3: expensive. Right. It takes, it takes three days. You can get your result in three days and know if you actually had COVID. Right. You can go to back, to, back to work in three days instead of, you know, instead five or of the, instead or of the
0: isolation about. for five or 10 or whatever they're saying. Right. Yeah. The other two things that really stuck with me, what you said, Dr. Jack, number one, we're hamstringing all of our frontline healthcare workers. We're giving them a test that isn't accurate, doesn't work and, and asking them to figure out what's going on. And then when you couple that with the willful misconduct of withholding evidence-based treatments from them, early treatments, there's no wonder that they're gonna see horror after horror after horror in the hospital. And then what are they gonna come out telling people that COVID is really bad? Well, you know what? It's not really bad if you're in a good state of health before you get infected. It's not really bad if your vitamin D levels and vitamin C levels and vitamin A levels are in a healthy state, which we know the vast majority of Americans aren't. It's not something that's severe and gonna require hospitalization if you've taken care of yourself And if once infected and you start becoming symptomatic, you aggressively practice the principles of early treatment that Dr. Pierre Corey, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Uh, Zelenko, and others have been so um, excellent in really revealing to the American people that early treatment saves lives. And there's no earlier treatment than immune priming, than giving your immune system the nutrients it needs to do its job. It's this is.
3: They you make an excellent point there that the healthcare workers are suffering from selection bias and what they see yep. in terms of the cases of COVID. You're right.
0: Yeah. So let's, uh, let's bring on Dr. Lee here, Dr. Lee, let's get into genomic sequencing. All right. We, we have about 20 minutes, seen about 10 minutes or so left. Let's get into the genomic sequencing. We don't need you to be an expert if you're listening in, but we do need you to know what he's found. So Dr. Lee, uh, one to 2% of all positive PCR samples below a cycle threshold of 28 because the CDC wants to make sure that they don't have any false positives that they're practicing genomic sequencing on are, are tested by the US CDC for genomic sequencing they've submitted over 3000 or excuse me over 3 million records of genomic sequencing into the the database you can access this database at the NCBI the National Center for Biotechnology Information you can look it up it's all it's all right there hiding in plain sight and I found something looking at Omicron that disturbed me. I found that there were only 318 cases confirmed of Omicron when Joseph Biden gave his Nightmare Before Merry Christmas speech on December 21st. And I asked you to look at that because I couldn't figure out for the life of me how the CDC was fraudulently stating that 73.2% of all cases nationwide were Omicron. I said, Dr. Lee, can you help me with this? And you thankfully jumped in and said, yeah, let me take a look. What did you find when you looked at the um, at this this genomic sequencing samples uh, at the NCBI? What did you what did you find, Doctor Lee?
2: Well, actually, you sent me uh, four cases uh, uh, which were identified as a Omicron variants by the mm-hmm. uh, by the government agency, the CDC, yeah, as Omicron, mm-hmm. and um, according to the CDC definition, okay, the Variants are determined by the amino acid mutations in the receptor binding domain of the the spike protein. Yeah. The receptor binding domain of the spike protein is a key tool mm-hmm. for the virus uses to enter the host cells, right? Well, so that's important, this is the basis for determination of variance according to the CDC definition
0: and which CDC is that um, yeah. Dr. Lee is that CDC the, the, US or CDC Europe
2: the, actually this is the, the US CDC actually the definition okay yeah, okay yeah, to, to, to do that okay Now for de- determining the variance yeah, alpha beta gamma and Delta there are only one to three, amino acid mutations in the receptor binding domain yeah not more than three in this segment okay now in amicron yeah, variants yep there are 15 mutations okay amino acid mutations Those extra a lot of them right and according to the european cdc and the who definition you must have 15 Amino as mutations in a specific site, yeah, with this Mm -hmm. segment in order to be classified as uh, Omicron variant, yeah. But uh, on those four cases you sent to me, and the CDC called it Omicron um, and variants, none of them have any mutations in this segment, (laughs) so they have some other. Now, mutations, you know, which right. may or may not be associated you know, with this uh, 15 mutations, you know, you know, but they use other uh, mutations as a surrogate, yeah, you know, uh, to classify as uh, Omicron variants, just inflate the number, basically. Yeah. On purpose or not, I don't know, you know, but uh, so right now, a lot of those uh, Omicron variants in fact are not truly omicron according to the specific definition defined by the european cdc and the who announced on november 26 yeah 2021 so that's the problem
0: and and the cdc us is using that definition the definition from the world health organization and right. the, and the cdc europe right
2: they should they should follow that but otherwise uh, uh, it's chaos. You don't know what's what. Right? So
0: let me let me recap this for everybody. This is very important. And This is where I, I thank you for putting it in the way you did, Dr. Lee. That's that's perfect. Let me let me recap this for everybody listening because I want you to understand what Dr. Lee just said. We looked at the samples. There were four samples. Um, we will publish on this uh, in for on the America Out Loud platform in and in a part four on stop calling it Omicron. Um, what Dr. Lee has confirmed. All right. And this is, this is how brilliant this man is. He went to the world health organization and the CDC Europe to see what the definition would be. Molecular definition would be for classifying something as Omicron. And he said, there have to be confirmation of 15 receptor binding domain mutations in order for it to be classified as Omicron, because the thing that's unique about Omicron is that, it has 15 of those mutations, whereas the predecessor variants only had a couple, three or four. So this is a very big difference between them. So the World Health Organization and CDC Europe say, that, hey, this is an obvious thing that we must make sure is positive, the 15 receptor binding domain mutations in order for us to call a sample as Omicron. And then what they do is they take, let's say they, let's say they um, genomically sequenced 100 samples If 90 of them had the 15 RBD mutations, then that means that 90% of the cases nationwide are likely Omicron. you see how they're doing this audience? This is, it's a little smoke and mirrors, but you know, this is the best that they got. Well, I sent Dr. Lee four samples from uh, GenBank, from the NCBI database, and that the CDC was calling Omicron. And Dr. Lee looked at them and said, hey, those four samples you sent me, those aren't Omicron. Why? Because they don't, they're negative for the 15 RBD mutations. Okay, folks, that's fraud. That's by definition fraud. The problem is who's going down there and look. First of all, the problem is how many people know as much as Dr. James Lyons-Weiler and Dr. Sin-Hang Lee when it comes to PCR and genomic sequencing? Virtually no one. You're talking to two of the top five on the planet right now, Okay. So you want to understand that. Number two, who's going and doing that kind of rabbit hole exercise and checking on the CDC on this? I just happened to stumble upon it because I was upset looking at listening to Joseph Biden and going, oh, wait a minute. How do we know that there's this many Omicron cases? The Omicron must be flooding in terms of genomic sequencing. And it wasn't. And so when I asked Dr. Lee to look at some things, he said, it's even worse than that. It's even worse than that. The CDC U.S. is actually categorizing whatever it wants as Omicron. It's not following the rules from the World Health Organization or CDC Europe. And it's just but it's saying it is, but it's really not. And this is the fraud, folks. Dr. Dr. Jack, what do you think about uh, what Dr. Lee just said?
3: Well, we live in the regulatory states of America. okay. And in living in the regulatory states of America, we have to put up with the fact that uh, The CDC does this passive-aggressive thing where on the website, it'll list the World Health Organization criteria and they'll say, hey, health organization says Omicron is this. Nowhere on the CDC website do they actually determine, tell the public what they think Omicron is. They ultimately can't be held accountable. It's very passive-aggressive. And further, we forget about the CDC. What about your doctor? What about the people they are going to tend to you if they think that, that you have COVID? They're going to mm-hmm. run a PCR test. And the PCR test is going to be positive or negative. And they're going to look at the percentage of COVID that is Omicron, said to be Omicron, and the percentage of COVID that's said to be Delta. And they're going to say it's most likely Omicron. And then mm-hmm. people are going to go home and they're going to say, oh, the doctor said I had Omicron. That's how mm-hmm. it works. There's a diffusion of this uncertainty where mm-hmm. the uncertainty gets transferred Uncertainty gets transformed into uh, certainty very easily when a doctor speaks. And uh, I I agree 100% with Dr. Lee's assessment. What we really need is Omicron-specific, Delta-specific, Sanger sequencing. FDA on their website lists Sanger sequencing as the gold standard to check a PCR result. Yep, it does. So we need to insist on a change in clinical practice from coast to coast, every state, every medical board needs to be educated
0: on this baloney. Right. And because all this, there's to me, Dr. Jack, Dr. Lee, correct me if I'm wrong. If the CDC, if, if every lab that runs a PCR would simply provide the patient with their cycle number, this would be done. If, this was, if the cycle number was common knowledge across the country, this would be done, we would be able to do an audit of so many things so quickly. But also, if the CDC would just practice what it says on its website, Sanger sequencing, there'd be no doubt. You would not only be able to confirm whether somebody was positive or negative, but you'd also be able to confirm which variant it was, and there'd be really no doubt. Is that a safe statement that I'm making?
2: Yes, it's correct, and actually, we have 6,000 hospital laboratories, right, in this country. Mm. Mm-hmm. And they can all do Sanger sequencing, all the positive cases to confirm it's a truly positive and uh, to confirm which variants they are dealing with.
0: So we have 6,000 labs in this country with the capability of using this methodology, Sanger sequencing, so that there can be, there's no doubt, we get a high level of accuracy and we, for two years, haven't been using this?
2: Correct. It should have been used. Yeah, it was used in 2003
0: for COVID-1, right? And we we have history of using it before. Right. Wow. All right. You know, gentlemen, I got to say thank you so much for this segment, these two segments. Um, I've learned a lot. I hope everybody listening has learned a lot. This is why it's so important, folks, to not let numbers or technical things puts you into a, a mental fog. You know, I know sometimes it's hard when it's like, that's not my area of expertise. I don't know anything about Sanger sequencing, but I think what Dr. Hang Lee and Dr. James Lyons-Weiler have done today is make it simple to understand. What's the solution? The solution is to throw out the PCR. It's garbage. Anytime you have something that could have a 91% false positive, a 75.5% false positive above a cycle threshold value of 27, that's garbage test. It's not accurate. It's garbage test. It doesn't tell us anything. And if we were going to do a service to all of America, that we would put our money where our mouth is and be transparent. And that transparency starts with Sanger sequencing. Sequence the samples the way it's supposed to be done, the way we've done it before, so that there's no guesswork There's no room for a doctor to say, oh, it must be Omicron. Why? Because that's what I was told that's spreading in the country, right? When folks, there's a simple phrase that I say often to my students, don't guess when you can know when the practice of medicine, there are plenty of times that we have to make educated guesses. You're going to have to do it. It's, It's a part of the business. So don't do it when you can know. Sanger sequencing get, affords us the ability to make sure we don't have to guess that we can know and put this whole thing to bed. I wanna thank you both for being here today. Um, again, you know, echoing my thoughts from previous sessions, we have to treat the root here, folks. The root is severe nutrient deficiency, but we also have to treat the root of the problem, which is fraud. And the way you treat the root of the problem fraud is by forcing the powers that be to tell the truth. Sanger sequencing is one of the great ways to do that. And it's the way that we should be clamoring for right now to make sure that every person who is diagnosed as COVID actually had the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Uh, folks, uh, next week, we're going to be talking with the uh, attorney, Stephen Jonkus, who's going to be updating us on some of the proceedings going on surrounding Uh, COVID, we hope that wherever you are, you're having a beautiful, beautiful weekend. Remember the four things that we want everybody to be practicing. Take no offense, speak truth, be selfless, and remain humble. May our creator shine his divine light down upon us, everyone we love, and surround us in the protection of his warm embrace. I'm Dr. Henry Ely for Energetic Health Institute and Energetic Health Radio. We'll see you next time, folks. Peace.
3: Thank you.